On to today's guest, which um, I'm sure many of you listeners have already heard his voice many, many times. It's uh, Guy Swan of Crypto Economy. Who, um, how, do you, how do you describe yourself, Guy, as uh, the person that's made, read the most uh, articles about what, what, what's your tagline? Read, read more about Bitcoin than anybody else you know. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anyone ever is going to dispute that. Um, and we'll, we'll get right into the, like what led you down that path, but I thought it'd be cool for, um, for people to find out a little bit more about Guy because we're so used to hearing your voice one, but talk, uh, um, reading out other people's work and sometimes you summarize it like, and you get a little bit, um, you know, ca- not carried away with your summaries. I, I find them. Oh, really- I definitely get carried away. I definitely get carried away. That is fair. <laughs> that gives us a little insight into, into the real guy and you know, how, how these pieces are affecting you um, deeper. And uh, I, 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 I really enjoy them all. And thanks. Thanks for all of your work. Thanks for everything you do. Um, I, yeah, absolutely. Sure. People out there will be, um, uh, you know, very appreciative of the amount of time you put into this, but uh, let's, um, Let's wind it back. Where did, uh, where did, what was young guy doing? Where did young guy grow up? And, um, you know, what was, uh, what was life for you back when you were a young man pre Bitcoin? Uh, yeah, I was, uh, I grew up in a really, really small town. Um, and, uh, I think, uh, as we kind of said before the show, I really do think that probably had something to do with, um, I think growing up in a really small community and, um, maybe even having like really close friends that you were open with at a very early age um, kind of leads to a, a level of independent thinking that some people don't have um, or at least pushes towards that tendency. So I think, I think actually growing up an incredibly, I mean, literally I think the population was somewhere between seven and 800. Um, I mean, like when, when I say small town, I mean, small town, like people have two acres in their backyard because like, they're just giving away acres for free. Um, <laughs> um, and, uh, uh, but, uh, and was this I grew up to what this was in the U S yes, this was in, in the U S I've mostly grown up around in and around North Carolina my whole life. Um, but yeah, that was eastern tiny town north carolina so out out in the out in the boonies with the with the rednecks <laughs> um but uh and uh you know there's there's a there's a lot of independent thinking whether whether you would consider it uh positive or negative in the in the redneck culture so <laughs> um, have you ever been back to visit do you still have family there uh yeah yeah i go back on occasion um uh, my my uh parents are still roughly in the area not not quite in the same place but but nearby we we go back and make a trip uh, ever so often yeah to to shield bitcoin and uh, make sure that people are listening and <laughs> basically basically that's all i do i just leave business cards with my my podcast name all over them yeah, yeah. or are you scoping out um possible uh, land for the the citadel uh probably a bad place for the citadel um i do my scoping for the citadel up towards the mountain areas i think the better better geographical defensive areas you know right something some, something for turrets and and big walls yeah. <laughs> that's what you need for the citadel <laughs> <laughs> so growing up in a small town and um like yeah you said to me off camera like um you know you likened that analogy to growing up and realizing that um, you know, it wasn't all about government then. It was relying on the community and how how you mm-hmm. can link that to Bitcoin in your thinking now. Can you expand on that a little bit? 
Yeah, I just think um, like when, probably because of the the small setting, everything with, you know, the federal government, even the state, like it just seems so detached. It seems not part of your world. Like when something goes wrong or you have some sort of a conflict, you lean on the people that are right there. You know, like, like all the other stuff is just kind of arbitrary. And um, I think that's something that you see, and that's why rural rural America, I think, tends to vote so conservative is because they're like, you know, you guys don't have anything to do with us. Like, we don't ask you for anything. Like, we don't want anything from you. Like, just kind of leave us alone. Um, there's, that, there's that sense of independence that, like, it's the 100 people that are right near me that are important to me. And you over there in your ivory tower with your ridiculous taxes and your plan to fix my life have nothing to do with me and please go F yourself. <laughs> and I think that's not, even though that's an exaggeration probably of the general sentiment, I, I don't think that's um, totally uncharacteristic of what's a little bit of what's going on. Um, and uh, uh, because of that, um, Bitcoin is one of those, it's one of those things that kind of, kind of codifies that sort of structure is that, we we are responsible for ourselves. Um, we, it's, it's an extension of that kind of mentality into an actual protocol to enforce it in a way. Um, and it allows us to cooperate without having to worry about that big guy in the in the ivory tower with their plans for how they're gonna they're gonna fix what I'm doing with my savings. Like, no, they don't they have nothing to do with what I'm doing with my savings. And economic value like what we produce into the economy and and how we trade that is the means to all of our ends like what what can you name one thing that you can do in your day that isn't dependent on trade with someone else like that is your in the entirety of your sovereignty like if someone has economic control over you they have control over you you just take out the word economic is irrelevant economic just means there is some sort of value for it which just means that anything that is your life that does not suck is, is involved in that. You know what I mean? Um, like any dreams that we have, any hopes of what I want to do with my life or what I want to build is all that, is all that realm. So if someone has power over what my value can buy, over what my value, how well my value is held in the future, whether or not I get to keep it in two weeks or whether or not I have to get rid of it in two days, they have full power over me. I, I have nothing. I, I might as well have nothing. Um, I have what they allow, which is not freedom. That's not independence. That's someone else. That, that's, that's a degree of slavery, whether it be soft or extreme. Um, it's, not, it's not different in kind. It's different in degree. Um, and Bitcoin is a protocol to essentially outlaw that, to... to to create an immunity to that within the ecosystem, with, within everything that settles to the Bitcoin system. And that is, a, that is a shockingly powerful tool. And so many people dismiss it as something that is trivial or that something that is just internet payments or you know, this app that you're going to have on your phone that's going to be a little bit cheaper or a little bit better than the banking app that you have when they just don't see that the fundamental change that that such a thing is creating is 
is fundamental. It, it, it's it, it's not even close to minor or insignificant. It could not be further the opposite of those things, and uh, um, it's just it, it's just something that like it hooked me. You know, you know the the whole black hole concept. Like I was, it, it grabbed me and I was gone. And the further and further I I dug into the rabbit hole. Um, I, I just, I just got more and more trapped. There's, there's no going back for me. <laughs> it's done. So you, you were once bitten forever smitten. You, you, you that, were, there was no, that is the time truth. Right. right. Okay. Forever smitten. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, but all right, man, that was, that was so eloquently put. Thank you so much. Um, what, who led you there? What led you there? Um, how did you find my brother? Yeah, probably my brother. Um, we have, we've always kind of growing up, we really butt heads. Um, and, uh, he's a younger brother or an older brother. I was about to clarify. I am the younger brother. Um, and it was always, we were just saying you're around 33, right? If you remember. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Close to 33. I'm getting there. I just have to do the math. Um, but I'm, I was always punching up. Right. Um, so, uh, it was always an uphill battle for me and, uh, uh, but you learn a lot when your adversary is always a little bit better than you, a little bit older than you, a little bit stronger than you. Um, and I, I really, I really love that that was my situation growing up. Um, looking back on it, even though I hated it at the time, absolutely hated it. We did not get along at all. Um, uh, in kind of those middle years, like middle school and towards high school. It wasn't until like towards the end of high school that we really started to click again and realize just how much, I guess we depended on each other and how much we um, fed off of each other with our ideas. And we just got really good and just had so much fun debating is that we could go head to head on an idea and yell at each other and break down like every corner of a concept in which we disagreed, but it'd be okay. He's my bro. You know? So, so, so at the end of the day, there wasn't really any cost to it. Like we just kept going at it and it became this fun thing that we did. And he went to, uh, I have always had a love of ideas, um, like, like beautiful ideas and how they stick with people. Um, and that's what led me to film school. Actually, when I went to college, I went to film school and film was just utterly fascinating to me. It was, it was my first Bitcoin. Um, and I still have a huge love for it and I intend to get back into it. In fact, Bitcoin, it's kind of leading me back in that direction. That's how I got back into media production. Um, and, uh, I went to film school and he went off and did economics and he had the hardest time in college with economics not because economics was hard because he felt it was wrong and he had a very difficult time like he got good grades because like it was really easy to regurgitate the shit that they throw at you um but he would argue with his professors like we argued and his professors did not like this so he would come back we were living together at the time and he would come back home and then he would unload all this stuff. He's like, they said this yesterday. And then today they say this. And these two, literally these two things cannot be true at once. One of them has to be true. And if this one is true, well, then this is what actually happens and vice versa. And like he would go back and then we would go hunting 
for kind of the answers to all of these questions he was bringing up uh, as he was quote unquote learning economics. Um, he had, had to basically teach it to himself. Um, and so we went down all these rabbit holes of economics on the internet, uh, went to the, the Chicago school, um, the modern monetary theorists, the, um, I mean, there's so many different like kind of branches of economics. There's one, I guess you could say he was close to uh, Warren Mosler, somebody we were curious about because he basically laid out this argument that the debt was meaningless. Um, and there's so many interesting little nuances around that. And that seemed interesting to me because it was treated as if it was meaningless, but it still felt wrong. So the further we explored, the more sense it's, it, it sort of made, but the kind of fundamental problem got bigger and bigger as we went down it. And we landed on Austrian economics. And all this time we're debating and arguing and trying to work out our ideas with this. And out of nowhere, um, he's debating with somebody about Austrian economics. And we're finally kind of realizing the, the profound clarity that the Austrian school brings to economic thought and how kind of working from the axioms and deducing uh, the consequences of economics is such a fascinating concept and explains so many things that people would just kind of muddy over like you know they would just kind of really quickly get past because you know it was hard like there was always some sort of a contradiction and somebody he was arguing with on the internet facebook or whatever it was said you know you'd probably be interested in this bitcoin thing and he was like what what age uh, are you right now um what age at, at this point when you're studying economics? nine years ago so um i was in college so it was like early 20s is oh, all the time that we were we were doing this right and, and it was about somewhere between eight and nine years ago now um that they told him about bitcoin and then he was like oh my god and then immediately that was what the debate that night was about and we just started reading about it and learning about it and we, i had already known the hayek quote of um we can't forcibly take the government's control of money away from them. We have to find some sly roundabout way to, um, uh, to create something that they can't stop. And I, uh, one little caveat in all this is I was also a huge techie at the time. Um, you know, being a film major, I loved gadgets. And um, I was also a big, uh, I was interested in like BitTorrent and stuff and the power of the internet and how it was changing the film industry, how it was changing media in general and publications and all this stuff. And then to see something that was BitTorrent, the best of BitTorrent, the best of the internet, and then a codification of Austrian economics, it was like this trifecta of everything that I was fascinated by at the time. And then this beautiful story of how it could change society at the, like all at once. And that night, that night we were stuck. Like, like, like it, it was over. There was no, there was no gradual like tiptoeing around the rabbit hole. Like we took, we took a shot of vodka and took a nose dive in it. And uh, we stayed up all night that night. I read the white paper very first night. Um, I remember we were still like freaking out about how awesome this thing was and like what incredible potential it had. And the sun was coming up in the morning and, uh, my girlfriend, uh, uh, now wife, uh, at the time was like, what the hell are y'all doing? Y'all been up all night, you know? Um, so, I mean, we just went as fast and as hard down the rabbit hole as you possibly could. 
and uh, uh, made within within days. We're scrambling to try to get some uh, money together, which we were broke. We were so broke. It was painful. Um, we had our water turned off for a couple of days the month before. Um, and uh, I had like a little media business that was doing garbage. I was lazy. Um, and uh, so we're scrambling to try to get money together to to put on uh, in this really shady exchange thing that you had to deposit cash into some random dude's account and they give you points that you could redeem on uh, some service that you could transfer to Dwala that you could transfer to Mount Gods. And I was like, what the, I mean, it was as shady as shady gets at the time. And, uh, but we were rushing, we were FOMOing in and we bought our first Bitcoins at the tip, at just the very, very tip top of the, that early bubble. And then I proceeded to watch over the next three or four months, every dollar we had had to our name in savings get obliterated <laughs> in the market, just utterly devastated. And now we're like, okay, we, did, we just, did we just make the stupidest decision of our entire lives? And I decided since I had this very vague idea of what Bitcoin was, um, yeah, I didn't know. You know, somebody somebody gave me a description of it on the internet. I read a white paper. It doesn't mean I know anything about Bitcoin. You know, um, I decided since I since I got into it with ignorance, but um, but I did have broad knowledge of kind of the pieces that led me to it. You know, Austrian economics, Bitcoin, like that sort of thing. I decided I was not going to get out until I knew that I was wrong about it until I had studied it well enough that I could safely say, yes, I am incorrect. My impressions of this are wrong. This thing can be destroyed. It's not as great as I had hoped. Um, and I just got drunk and excited <laughs> and made a mistake. Okay, buy the bullet and live with it. And so I started reading. Here I am. Yeah. I, I never proved it wrong. I never figured out how to kill it. And it just got better and better. So yeah, wow, that's an incredible story. Like, man, you you were twenty four, twenty five years old buying your first Bitcoin, going through all of those barriers to entry back in those days. Like, uh, you know, it was awful. Yeah, <laughs> fear behind that. Like, you, you, you know, and that's all your money, right? Like, yeah, that was that that was everything. Like, it was, it was one of the most reckless things like like looking back on it i can't believe how reckless it really was and how we were just kind of blindly trusting all of these services like yeah just give them cash just deposit it in this account i remember there was this uh the ask the, the service that they were using didn't know how because you had to cash deposit into somebody else's account um they didn't have a way to distinguish who you were when you went to the bank so if five people were um, depositing a hundred dollars, they all look indistinguishable. Like I, I didn't put my name and like, you know, account information or anything like with these services when I made the deposit. Um, cause they were probably breaking some sort of a rule, I'm sure. Um, and, uh, or at least some terms of service of exactly how you're supposed to use it. Um, so what they would do is they would make you, they would say, make sure like they would deposit like a hundred dollars into your account or whatever, but they would say, make sure that you deposit exactly $100 and 17 cents. 
and they would use the scent, the amount of scent as the way to distinguish you from the other person. So the other person would deposit $100 and 23 cent and they would know that you were 17 and they were 23. That is how they distinguish one user from another. So it, it was, there are more ridiculous things, but that was just very common. Like that, that was just kind of how it worked back then. It was all scrambled, like hacked together. Everything was just some dude trying their best to make some excuse for a service online to make Bitcoin viable. I mean, that was Mt. Gox. Mt. Gox should never have been as big as it was. It was just the fact that there was nothing else, you know? Um, and God. then it happened through two, two huge bull runs. And suddenly this shite website that's run entirely on PHP with horrible coding um, and garbage security was handling billions of dollars worth of funds. And they're like, oh God, we are so effed in the A right now. <laughs> oh man. Did you, did you guys survive the Mt. Gox thing or, or did you lose the, the coins you were holding there? Or how, how are you handling that? <sighs> sort of. Um, uh, there, was, there was some pain um, in the process, but um, uh, it, it wasn't, it wasn't, none of it was a total loss. It was just, you know, it, it, neither one of us were keeping everything we had on Mt. Gox. Um, but uh, there was definitely, luckily, luckily I got, um, actually, I think, I think I got all of mine off of Mt. Gox before it went down. Um, just because there were, there were some major warning signs, like, like a month or two leading up to their insolvency. Um, but I paid for a lot of other painful mistakes in the past you know when when all the wallets are you know when the reference client is barely barely set and some of the new wallets that you're using are by terminal you make mistakes and you lose keys and you live with it and you move on but uh it's been a hell of a ride and none of it really deterred me from bitcoin it was just like i should have been smarter i should have made better choices and i should have been more careful when the tools were as rough as they were, but you know, such is life, right? Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Most people have the same, same kind of story. Uh, I don't want to dissuade new people coming into the space though, with, with these um, uh, old war stories from uh, the early adopters, because it's all different now, right? There's, there's oh no, it doesn't, it looks nothing like it did back then. There are so many easy, I mean, just the idea that there is a mobile app would, mm. it would have been, would have seemed ridiculous back then. Um, like it's, it's an ocean, ocean's difference than it was. Um, it's so much easier now. Um, seed phrases uh, are, I don't even think my first backup had a seed phrase. I'm like, I think it was prior to like the, the standardization of actually having like a phrase backup. Um, uh, but, uh, and, and some of the backups were, backup processes were nightmarish. Um, I remember when HD wallets actually came out, like most people probably don't even know what that is, um, but it's because everything is HD now, it's, it's called a uh, hierarchically deterministic wallets. And all that means is that you have a, uh, a, a set like derivation path, like to make new addresses. So you don't have to, like you can just back up your seed and you don't have to go you don't have to back it up constantly. Every time you make a new address or make a new transaction, you don't have to back it up again because 
um, when you load up your seed into a new wallet, well, it will just regenerate the same addresses for you. Well, back then you couldn't do that. Every time you got new Bitcoin, you had to re you had to back up a new private key. So your private key, like encrypted backup was a group of private keys, an individual one for every single input or excuse me, every single output that you owned. Um, which was ridiculous. You know, if you got new transactions, you're like, oh crap, I gotta, I gotta back up my wallet again or I'm going to lose all this money. Um, so yeah, yeah. Those, those war stories. Thank, thank Satoshi. Thank Lord Satoshi um, are, are indeed a thing of the past and it is vastly easier than it once was. Yeah. it literally is, you know, to the point now of downloading an app and there actually there's loads out there you can, you can choose from and just load up, um, load up a few Satoshis. First of all, you don't have to worry about storing your keys or anything just yet. Um, if you're dipping the toe in, just, just use one of these apps that there's plenty out there. So yeah, there's a, actually real quick, the, yeah. um, uh, one thing that's kind of becoming a standard, which I have, I really love is the splitting up of the backup over, um, uh, multiple, like, like a good example is Casa's mobile wallet, um, is they split your key um, uh, for your wallet and they store half of it encrypted. It's encrypted locally before it's broken up, but they store half of it encrypted on your like Apple or Google account. Um, so you're like iCloud or whatever it is. And then the other half on uh, Casa's servers with behind your account details. So essentially the combination of your Apple account and your Casa account um, are the backup of your keys and neither company um, has both a they have an encrypted backup but both they also have half a key so neither one of them even if they somehow got past the encryption even have your key so you've got a backup by default it's actually better than just a general a, a typical backup if i lose my if i lose my phone log back into apple log back into casa i've got my wallet um so some of the innovations that have been done around the splitting up of keys and the the sort of like default built-in backups that you don't even have to see um, have so beautifully simplified um, that problem. And I think in the next couple of years, we'll, we'll really see an extension of that. And that's going to continue to accelerate in um, a lot of, of really great solutions to that problem. Yeah. Excellent. Well put. Thank you. Um, so if I take it back to the day that you decided to start reading and educating yourself, that was obviously not the birth of the podcast just then. So there, it was not, there was probably a job in there somewhere, some kind of profession before you um, led yourself uh, to, to this like incredible amount of time that you, you put aside to read the, uh, the blog posts and stuff mm -hmm. and the books. So um, yeah, what, what came after the, uh, the college days uh, and prior to the, <laughs> The amazing podcast that you uh, you put out now. <laughs> um, so, uh, like I said, I went to film school and then uh, I ran a media business for a couple of years after that, and it didn't do so bad. Like I, I kind of give myself hell for it because it was a, uh, a kind of a weak um, excuse for entrepreneurship. It was. I had basically not yet learned that I needed other people to be involved to actually be really successful that I couldn't do it all by myself. Um, and I kind of insisted on, on doing it that way at the time. Um, so it was basically just kind of a get by business for a number of years. Um, but I actually really enjoyed it. Um, it just got boring doing 
the real money in like media production, um, or this, I guess you could say stable money in media production is weddings, um, um, weddings and like little events and stuff like that. And I just got so bored with it. I wanted to tell stories, you know, and telling a story that was like the same cookie cutter thing every time was exhausting. Um, so I quit that, became a photographer for a little while, worked at the studio. Um, and, uh, but then kind of went the way of, uh, more tech stuff. Cause I was getting more and more to the internet, um, uh, learning about Bitcoin and the potential for technology and stuff. Like I'd already always been a nerd, you know, I'd always been a techie, um, and was an internet technician for four years, maybe. I guess, um, learned a lot, actually really loved everything that I learned in that job. It was, it's fun to break. It's fun to, um, go to places where the internet is broken and figure out what's wrong and fix it. Um, but, uh, after a while I just couldn't, couldn't do it anymore. And I was so consumed into Bitcoin that I realized I delayed starting the podcast for my brother and I wanted to start a podcast together. Um, and, uh, then I thought about doing a podcast. I had like four or five different ideas floating around for what I would do. Um, but I literally procrastinated for four years making the podcast. Um, and it would have been great. I, I, I beat myself up a little bit about not doing it sooner because I could have done it when there were no Bitcoin podcasts, like literally. Um, like it was basically like Trace Mayer and um, uh, uh, Let's Talk Bitcoin, I guess, was really like it um, for, the, for the most part. Um, and, uh, but I procrastinated and then finally broke down one day and started it. And, uh, after a year it was, it had grown enough and seemed to be really catching steam that I was like, all right, so I've got savings that I can lean on, you know, like Bitcoin can fund my foray into the uh, Bitcoin space here. Um, and yes, like I'm essentially uh, negating the holdal tradition and I'm paying a massive, massive ongoing price. Like, like in 10 years, this could be millions of dollars worth that I'm paying to, um, stay, uh, to, to do this with my life. But it's what I wanted to do, you know, like, like, and, and at some point, like, uh, there's actually an article I read from Ben Hunt on the Epsilon theory, uh, yeah, a blog. Exactly. And, it's about the scarcity of time. And then there's uh, uh, Breed Loves, the tyranny of time scarcity. And it really kind of um, put into words something that I had been trying to define for myself is that our time is the only thing that's as scarce as Bitcoin in our lives. And I should be equally thinking that the trade should be specifically between those two things, really, is what is the value of two years of my life if I can get if I can get ahead, if I can lay a position and actually be a meaningful part of this ecosystem and be a meaningful part of bringing Bitcoin um, and teaching people about Bitcoin, like that's, that was incredibly valuable to me to not delay that anymore. Um, and so I was like, all right, so even if this takes half of my savings, if I lay the groundwork right and uh, there is there is the potential of of huge profit here 
and there, there's a, of incredible productivity and to be able to sustainably do something that I actually love to do and expand it and turn it back into film, turn it back into, you know, a larger production endeavor and get other people involved. That potential was just too hard. It, it, it was, I couldn't say no. I couldn't say no. I had to take it. And if I lose all my money and none of this works and it never really pays me, you know, fine. Like I'm, I'm young enough. Like I'll survive. I'm smart. I, like we can figure it out. I've been there. I've lost money in the past. I've lost Bitcoin in the past. Um, so it just seemed like if there was ever a time to take a risk every year that taking that risk is dumber. So take it now and lay the groundwork and be a part of this thing. And so that's, that's what I did. And, uh, Fingers crossed, it seems to be paying off, and I, I hope it continues to. Do, do you think that you'll get to a stage where the, the podcast will be able to uh, sustain like your, your monthly expenses? Um, how long do you think that, that you're looking, or do you think you can have to layer on top of, of what you're doing right now? I think I'm there, um, actually. Um, it's not paying, but I think I'm at the, uh, the show is big enough that it could. Um, without a doubt, if I properly sell what I have to someone, like if I find a sponsor who like actually does, like, I'm, I've been pretty shocked at the listener growth in the last um, four months in, in particular. Um, it has accelerated. Like I actually did, um, uh, I was actually just looking at the chart because I'm trying to get my like rate card and stuff together. Um, and on February 1st of last year, I had 310 listens for the day, um, like 10 different listeners um, download for the day. And on February 1st of this year, it was 3,600. Um, so that is, and it doesn't, not only that, like the most recent couple of weeks have been an accelerated growth. Like, like it's been really sharp rises because I've just got syndicated with the Let's Talk Bitcoin Network and kind of exposed to their audience. So I think I think I really have something now, and I'm I'm getting really excited. I just haven't done the, the dirty, the nit and gritty to um uh really sell and make sure that I've got like a clean short ad for like a real a real company that's you know going to stay there for for the long haul and is sensible about this. Um, but I, but I think yeah, I think it's there. I think it's there. And a company that aligns with your values as well, right? I think that's the key. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I, I, I want to. If I'm, I, I destroy the value of my show if I sell something that's that isn't valuable to my customers, like to, to or to the audience. You know, um, I've always hated frivolous ads or like stuff like even even with the Anchor.com ads, like I've turned down a number a number of them. Like they'll just like post ad for some podcast that's just like garbage or just has nothing to do with, you know, they didn't even bother to check if it was in the same category or something. I'd be like, Ugh, I'm not, I'm sorry. I'm not showing this on the show. Um, but there have been some good ones in that too. And, you know, Anchor's always a good sell. Like they're, they're like the simplest platform out there. So I don't, I don't mind, I don't mind shilling Anchor every day. That's, that's no big deal. Well, thank you for shilling Anchor every day because like you, I was procrastinating on starting a podcast. Uh, had mm -hmm. I was facing all the usual fears, like who the hell is going to want to listen to some 43-year-old guy living in the middle of nowhere with <laughs> thinks he knows a little bit about Bitcoin um, and is like about the loneliest guy on the planet because he's got no one else to talk to about it. Um, 
imposter syndrome as well is a, is a huge one, right? Oh, I know that one. I know that one. Yeah. Well, Pete McCormack talks about that. And, and between, between you two guys, um, like Pete McCormack talking about imposter syndrome and, uh, posting a thread about, you know, how to start a podcast. I mean, he goes in depth and you know, his numbers are crazy. You know, he's done an incredible job. Um, but obviously he has a marketing background. So, but like between him talking about imposter syndrome and then you shilling anchor on your show, um, because you know, that was, a, that was another barrier to entry for me. I'm not, I'm not a tech guy. You know, I was in uh, traditional mm-hmm. finance for, for 18 years to start a podcast and to handle the editing and all this kind of stuff. But you, saying how easy it is on anchor. Like every time I listen to you and like, it's as if you were speaking personally to me about how easy it was. (laughs) So, you know, huge respect and and thanks again for, um, for doing that. Cool. Cool. I appreciate it. I'm, 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 I'm really glad that that has been useful. I've actually been contacted by, you're probably the fourth or fifth person who said that they had been wanting to do a podcast and then finally bit the bullet like when I said something on the show, cause I actually did have an episode on the show where I just went into the fact that like, like all the fears and everything about starting a podcast and how much I delayed it and how much I hated myself for just keeping delaying it. And I, uh, I also have him talking to my brother um, in the ad. And when I bring it up on the show, because uh, he's got a great idea for a podcast and he's been recording, Recording episodes like he's got like episodes in the bag but he's I think he's just like nervous and not not sure enough to actually publish it so I keep giving him shit about it <laughs> um and uh so yeah I've been I've been really happy to hear that like it's actually kind of inspired people to start a show um because I think the 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 more breadth of topics and like concepts that we cover the better, you know, like the, the greater the selection, the more, the more we have. And more than anything, this show has taught me so much. Like, like it's so easy to be like, Oh, well, other people will find value. Other people listen to it. But then, then you wonder if you end the year with like, like I, like I did like at first, it's like, nobody was listening. It was like, like I I could count and I knew the five people who downloaded my show. (laughs) Um, and so for months and months and months, that's just the way it was. But I found the best thing was that it made me clarify my thinking. Like it allowed me to get so specific and in depth with what I thought about it and how it would actually apply because I was forced to read these things in full. It's so easy to read a headline or the first paragraph and our attention spans are so damn short that we just, we think we walk away with these like 10 headlines and 17 tweets that we read and like our outrage. And we think we learned something and we didn't, we don't know shit when we are in that position. And this made me learn about Bitcoin. When I had to explain what segregated witness was to somebody, suddenly I realized I didn't really know what the hell it was. Like, like I had this vague half-assed idea as to what I was actually giving, but trying to explain it, somebody else revealed that it was vague and entirely incomplete. Um, and so I, aside from the fact that like, you know, maybe this will pay for itself and I've had I've been blessed with a very um, healthy audience right now um, and very happy about it. Uh, it has taught me so much, even if I still just had the five listeners, that I don't think I would regret it. Um, I would be sad that it didn't succeed, 
and that, you know, I, I couldn't do with it what I thought, but I still would have been here reading it. And I'm, and I'm so happy that I, I feel like I'm more knowledgeable because of what I've done with this show. So, yeah. How do you do it? Like, what's the setup? Because, you know, like you say, like we, we, we will speed read an email, we'll speed read a tweet and we'll speed. How do you actually sit down with that medium blog post or whatever it is? Do you print it out? Do you read it straight off the screen? Are you standing up, sitting down? Give us, give us a, little, um, a little taste of how you get one of these uh, stories out there. Because they take it like some, sometimes hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and the recording of it, um, the recording of it always takes way, way longer than um, obviously actually just reading it. Um, and both A, because like I'm a whole lot slower. You're slower when you read out loud. Um, uh, but uh, uh, also just getting the emphasis and the info. Like I, I, re I re-record paragraphs and sentences multiple times sometimes, particularly like depending on the writer. Um, some people are like... Uh, there's some words that like, like sentences that get really, really wordy or they have like two, two clauses in the sentence before finishing the thought. And, and you realize you did the emphasis completely wrong and you have to go back. Oh shit. This in audio, this is going to make any sense. None of this is going to follow. So you have to go back, delete, re-record. Um, but basically my process now, originally I would just read a bunch of articles and, um, uh, uh, basically pick through which ones that, you know, I liked or shared some really good idea. So basically I would just try to kind of remember, um, which articles were good, but over the years I have, uh, really finalized. I found a couple of apps that really help, um, manage it. And what I do now is, uh, particularly when I, Twitter is such a huge resource for me on this, um, because people are always sharing out articles. Um, or something they read or some little clip. Um, and uh, I'm actually using Notion right now. I've switched from a previous program and maybe I'll switch to something else in the future, but I just really like it the way it is right now. And I've got a little extension in my uh, browser. So if I ever find anything that looks interesting, I save it in a master list of all articles. It's basically like a, um, uh, an elaborate, huge collection of bookmarks where I can put certain tags, I can make sure I can add the author um, and uh, um, basically keep track of what I have permission to read and what I haven't gotten permission to read and all of those details. Um, and, uh, and then when uh, sometimes it's, you know, in the morning when I'm getting my coffee or something or like before bed, I just sit down, I just start reading um, and I'll read through articles. Sometimes I'll get through like a quarter of an article and I'll be like, I'm reading this on the show and I'll just stop. I'll just be like, nope, there's no reason to finish this. I'm going to be covering this this Wednesday. I'll put it in my schedule and, uh, and then I'm ready to go. And I, the first time I really read it was just when I read it on the show because it's like, why waste the time I'm going to? Um, and, uh, but uh, mostly um, the, the time um, that I've gotten back is because I used to, actually, that's funny. Bruce said this in the episode um, that, uh, uh, of, of the show from the other day that uh, y'all did um, was that I used to be a gamer. Um, and I don't know if you could, I don't know if I would classify myself as a gamer because I think of a gamer as being like somebody who is really good at gaming. And I don't know if I was really good at League of Legends, like I was decent at it, but it consumed all of my time. 
like I would I would work on like little film projects and stuff but when I got home I was trying to get first win of the day and I'd played through five or six games it turned into three hours in no time and that was probably the biggest thing that was enabling my procrastination for starting the podcast was that I was just in the habit of getting on and, and I was hanging out with my friends too you know like my best friends from no joke from the that tiny little small town in North Carolina where I grew up I've had I've been unbelievably lucky to have best friends from when I was four five and six years old that have stayed with me my whole life um so we get up and we don't live in the same place anymore so we get to hang out online um which was hard to say no to you know like even if I blame it on the video game what I'm doing is I'm hanging out with my friends um, and I finally had to commit and be like, if I'm going to do this, uh, like, like I, I look at the, like the experience points and the like skins and stuff that you get in the video game as a reward for playing a lot. And I'm like, Oh Jesus. And, and I like, what, what at the end of the year do I have that I didn't have at the beginning of the year that was real, you know, like, like what? the hell are these experience points is this my profession is this is this something that i'm building or doing in the world that's interesting and that i'm going to leave behind one day for someone no it's a it's a video game it doesn't mean anything like as soon as i exit the video game there goes my experience points i can't i can't do anything with them and i'm not learning a valuable skill um outside of hand-eye coordination which i've been playing nintendo since i was five so like that's not anything new um, and I just finally just accepted it, how meaningless it was. And I don't want to crap on anybody that plays video games, by the way. Like, this was just kind of my revelation, and I had to come to terms with it. Like, I still play video games on occasion. It's not like I'll break out the Nintendo Switch for 30 minutes, but I just don't play it religiously like I did. Um, and uh, I, I now accept that I'm doing it for leisure and. I, I just couldn't see the value in it anymore. And it hurt me that I was doing something that was consuming my whole life. that wasn't giving me any value. Um, and I walked away from it and uh, Bitcoin just kind of filled the gap. Um, it was like, all right, so I guess I'll just read this article about Bitcoin or watch this lightning conference video that I've been putting off. I didn't know what else to do. Like, I <laughs> and uh, uh, Bitcoin always fascinated me. So that's what happened. And finally, I um, quit procrastinating, uh, made the podcast. And, you know, again, here we are. Um, I, I think that was a huge decision, though, that it really finally pushed me over the edge and made all of this possible. I remember that uh, that part of the interview with Bruce, who um, awarded you. I should have said this at the start of the show. Um, awarded you the uh, the best podcast for uh, for newcomers, um, and uh, um, an amazing an amazing shout. Thank out. you, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> I like um, to thank my family and my wife for staying by my side. <laughs> I, I tweeted out like which Bitcoin conference is going to step up and, um, you know, do the award ceremony and, uh, we'll, we'll <laughs> invite, invite Bruce along and, uh, all of the, uh, all of the winners of the different categories, but Bruce uh, can present. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that'd Have be a, a song and dance at the beginning. <laughs> that'd be a cool thing to do. Um, so 
And one thing I remember as well was finding your podcast because I remember tweeting out something about like, you know, I'm tired of sending blog post links to my friends and my family and I know they're ignoring them and I know they're not reading them. And yeah, yeah. I figure I'll just read them for them, lay it down on audio and start a podcast. And somebody was like, guys, one already does that. I'm like, (laughs) hang on. What? I'm like, wow. And I go to your thing. I'm like, this guy's done like what? Like 350. What are you up to? Um, yeah, today's will be 352. Wow. um, And it's, 423 episodes in total because I've got like the guys take the solo episodes where I kind of break back into a concept and then I've got a, a number of interviews whether it's like me going on your show or stuff like that um so yeah it's it is a it is many 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 hours of stuff yeah yeah it truly is and that brings me on to uh, a few uh, a few fun questions hopefully who do you find the hardest writer to read the hardest to read. Um, uh, well, if we take it back to uh, like economics and stuff, it's um, Hayek and uh, Mises. Mises. Hayek's a whole lot more sensible than Mises. Um, but I have read um, at least one, maybe two pieces by Mises directly. Um, a lot of the stuff that I like to read by Mises actually is someone else clarifying or expanding on Mises's ideas uh and those are much easier to read um but Hayek can kind of get confusing too um but yeah yeah definitely definitely the economic stuff is the hardest to digest and on the other end of the spectrum who's the easiest like when a when a piece drops you're like oh man I, I don't even need to read it just because that writer he wrote it she wrote it I know the style I know the verbiage um I'm just bring it on that is a tough one. Um, right now, it might be it might be Dare Gigi. Um, uh, he always got like he's very clear, like very clear about his ideas and like laying it out, and uh, uh, doesn't talk in like super crazy technical like speak. He 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 lays it down from a very high level, like to just kind of apply to life and things in general. Um, so I'm always, I always know that it's going to flow when I'm, I'm reading his stuff, but, uh, there are numerous others though that I know are good, but that, that one just pops out. So, so we'll leave it at that. And randomly enough, that was the first, the first, uh, ever episode of your podcast I ever listened to was 21 lessons. And I had Doji no last night. Yeah. That, 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 oh, nice. Random. Nice. Yeah. That's a good one. God's a good one. Yeah, the, the, the planets aligned for that answer somehow. <laughs> <laughs> um, and which which piece has has a piece that you've been reading now ever just like kind of stopped you in the tracks, um, stopped you like dead, and, and thought what like you know like a giant piece of puzzle has has dropped. Uh, hundreds, um, uh, so many like that that happens all the time. Um, to be perfectly honest. Um, but probably the one that laid out such, and, and I feel like this one doesn't get as much of, a, um, uh, as much attention is what's really driving the cryptocurrency phenomenon, uh, by, uh, the iterative capital guys. Um, it's, uh, Chris Danen and, um, oh, I forget the other two authors. Um, I only spoke and conversed with Chris Danen over it. So he's the one that stands out. Um, but, uh, it's four hours and 30 minutes 
Um, well, it is literally a book, like it, it's a thesis. Um, and, uh, but it is a, it's an amazing breakdown of how the uh, kind of the managerial class, like the corporate structure versus the engineering culture and the open source culture that ended up um, arising out of it in the uh, really kind of started in the 60s, 70s and got going in the 80s. Um, but uh, extending it really all the way back to like the 1930s, I think, and 1940s when cryptography was really coming on into its own and becoming like its own science and um, uh, how the, the divergence in views for creating sh uh, small, like simple structural, like foundational code um, that, that would last, but may, maybe not have all the features that you would think or want it to have. And then the, the class of like corporate um, and managerial uh, structure where get out a new feature because it sells really well. Um, make sure that you add these, these trinkets and stuff to it and these widgets and gadgets because uh, you know, we've, got, we've got quarterly reports coming and this is what you engineers should focus on. And the engineers are like, well, we've got a whole lot of technical debt already that we really need to clean up. In fact, I think we should go back to the drawing board and rework our foundation a little bit. And they're like, no, 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 we don't have time for that. Um, and how that, that divergence kind of happened and led to the open source culture kind of um, uh, creating its own ecosystem. And suddenly, suddenly, the, the internet allowed all these people to collaborate and connect, whereas before they were spread all the way across the world and no one, they didn't know each other existed. And you have things like Unix. You have things like... Like, like these, these things just kind of emerge, like Wikipedia, like, like they just kind of share this project. And because people are trying to solve their own problems, suddenly this thing that was entirely volunteer-based, it's just a bunch of people working together online that looked like an inferior product and could only solve one of like 10 problems that we wanted to solve, kept getting iterated on and expanded on and used by the engineers and then they're immediately there talking to their customers and talking to the problems of the people that are using it and incrementally improving these things. And then it started taking over the internet. Like Unix is the backbone for everything. And so, suddenly like we're competing. Suddenly this open source volunteer group of people are building a product that is making corporate giants look like dinosaurs that, that, that they're having to rely on. They're out competing people with practically unlimited funding and huge engineering class, like uh, huge teams of engineer, engineers and everything. And I just loved the study of that divergence and of, of that main element and then how it ultimately led to um, the New Jersey style, the whole worse is better concept of coding and inevitably to um, Bitcoin and cryptography and the, the, the seeking of trying to do, solve this, solve the problem of finance and money with that same mentality. And that they just, they're just pulling, pulling the rug right out from under the entire financial system by doing the same thing. They're creating the Unix of money. They're creating uh, that core foundation that everyone can rely on and the potential to change the entire thing um, I think is, very, very prevalent. And how do you see it playing out in the next decade? 
decade. Um, I think people are going to um, be shocked at uh, uh, how much sound money disrupts all of the plans of central bankers. I think um, the central banking system and the the strength of like the dollar right now, like people think that the typically look at all the inflation and the the money being flooded into the markets and you're like, oh, okay, well, the the dollar is obviously very, very weak right now because look at all this inflation. Um, but what you're actually getting is the dollar is strong because um, it is, it's got the strongest network effect and every central bank is trying to inflate at the same time. So the dollar actually looks better than all of the bad alternatives. So it's the least bad of all the bad alternatives because it's the global reserve. So the dollar somehow is being strengthened by all of this insanity in negative interest rates and these global debt crises that are just kind of dominoing um, through countries. And uh, uh, I think that is going to, I think that is the, the, the dollar's benefit, like the dollar's saving grace is that there is no escape valve. And I think Bitcoin is that escape valve. Um, and as soon as Bitcoin has the market cap, which I think will happen a lot quicker than people think, it, think it's going to, um, but as soon as it has the market cap, that a move in Bitcoin is, it can actually be measured as a reverse move in major currencies like the dollar, all of their plans are not going to work as they expect them to. Um, that it, Bitcoin is going to be the elephant in the room of every central banking meeting where they decide they're going to go negative interest rates and this is going to cause this to happen in the economy. It's like, well, what about sound money? What about this thing over here that everybody is running to and it is destroying all of our plans? It is, uh, it's, not, it's no longer allowing us to devalue our debt and which is giving us a, an additional credit crunch. Um, it's it's going to basically make all of their attempts to steal from everyone obsolete. Um, and they're going to have a, a very, very uh, hard wake-up call um, when that starts to happen. And yeah, I, I, think, I think the next decade is going to be an unbelievable roller coaster. Um, I think we'll see a lot of pushback from political institutions, from governments. Um, that do not like Bitcoin, um, they will demonize it, uh, but it will skyrocket nonetheless. Um, and then people will get nervous. We'll see things shifting hands. I think a lot of borders will change. Uh, some central banks will not be around in 10 years that we think of as being around right now. Uh, 10 to 15 years is going to be utterly nuts. What exactly is going to happen? I don't know. Um, but a lot is going to happen. I can tell you that it's the world is not going to look the same in 15 years. I agree. And, and I've, I agree in a positive sense. It's not going to look the same. I think it's going to look better. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. Um, I think there will be a lot of pain. Um, transitions come with pain, uh, and a lot of stress and a lot of fighting, um, in the midst. Uh, but, uh, it kind of in the same way that the, I mean, look what the internet's done in 20 years. You know, the, internet, the, the world doesn't look the same today as it did 20 years ago. Um, and I think that's accelerating. Uh, but overall, be, without question, it's a huge net benefit and um, a net benefit more than anything to the people who have been uh, 
stolen from for generations and don't even know it. They don't know why it feels like they're spinning wheels in the economy. Why, even though they got a 10% raise, it seems like they didn't get any extra value out of it. Like why did their life not get any better? Why are they still struggling the same? Like, why am I walking on this treadmill and not going anywhere? Um, and, uh, I think across the board, things will just continually get better and people won't have a clear reason why there, there won't be anything to easily point at why, but it will simply be because the economy can actually communicate again. Cause that's what, that's what manipulating all this money supply does. It just breaks down the ability to communicate value with each other. So when there's a scarce, when, when there's a shortage somewhere, when there's a surplus somewhere, when there's an imbalance, we can't fix it. It just persists because they keep pumping money in and screwing up the price system. And Bitcoin is that one constant that is so perfectly inelastic that prices in Bitcoin, when it starts to become the pricing mechanism, when it starts to become that hedge, that ultimate settler of, uh, of both debts and assets, um, we will be able to communicate value where that communication has broken down and it will save and better millions and millions, if not billions of people's lives in the process. Excellent. Excellent summary. Um, well, I, I, I guess I should start wrapping it up guy because, uh, we've, we've been babbling on for just over an hour and I don't want to take up uh, too much more of your time. I uh, tend to rant. I'm sorry. Oh, no, like, I, I'll tell I very easily take a one sentence answer and turn it into like half a page paper. <laughs> <laughs> but it's uh, everything, everything you, that we've been talking about. Um, I hope the, the listeners who get to listen to this, um, you know, get a further insight into, into you and your thinking and how, well, that's a good question, actually. How, you know, what do you think, how has Bitcoin fundamentally changed some of your behavior? Um, I'm definitely a lot more quote unquote sovereign. Um, like I, like that is, that has absolutely become a core focus of mine where to some degree it was just kind of abstract to me in the past. Um, so without a doubt, um, like fully and 100% taking personal responsibility, um, has, I guess you could say has been on steroids since I've gotten into Bitcoin, uh, because I have paid for being irresponsible and for being negligent. And you just don't forget those payments. You know, like when, when you learn the hard lesson, you learn it with finality, <laughs> you know? Um, so uh, uh, that is definitely something that I feel like has really changed since I have fully committed to Bitcoin. Hmm. And what projects do you have? Uh, can you, have you got anything um, you, you can share with us? Or is, have you got a project under wraps? Anything... We should be looking out for in the future from Guy. Right now, um, I am uh, talking with Jan and uh, um, Jan Pritzker, uh, who did Inventing Bitcoin. Um, we are finishing up. We're listening, doing final listen-throughs on the audiobook for that. Um, that will be dropping very soon on Audible. Um, I am uh, going to be. I've kind of procrastinated on it and been sidetracked with a lot of other things. Uh, but we'll be doing the same thing with 21 lessons for uh, Dare Gigi. Um, and uh, I've got two other conversations um, for audiobooks happening. Uh, and I have got like three or four other projects that have been ongoing for like six months in the background. 
Um, but I am finally at a part at a point where I have put so much on my plate. I am officially saying no to anything else until I start getting these wrapped up, but I don't want to say too much. Um, just because I don't know the timeline for finishing any of those four or I guess five projects, um, yet. Um, but yeah, there is definitely stuff coming. A couple are, um, uh, uh, film projects. Um, a couple are, uh, education projects and, uh, I just need to focus on those. So definitely stuff coming. Definitely. And from the Bitcoin community, how can we, how can we help you find uh, the right sponsors for your show? So you, you know, that can free up a little bit of, um, you know, uh, monetary anxieties. Um, any, any particular, <laughs> any particular people that you'd love to work with, we can just shill the head out of, um, around, uh, around Twitter and make some noise for you. Oh, that would be awesome. Um, uh, well, I love uh, Unchained Capital. Um, I've been talking with those guys for a while. Um, I know they're not uh, in a position for it, but I think I think we're continuing the conversation. They've uh, basically just pushed me to next quarter and said, no, we're definitely going to talk. So, um, But I, I absolutely love those guys. Their blog is just straight fire, and their service is the only Bitcoin-backed loan that I would even come close to touching Like the because they have the multi-signature. Like, so you can actually you know your coins are there. I would never trust any company that takes my coins and then gives me an account and then gives me like a dollar back loan, particularly in like the context of like, uh, you know, if you have a huge crash or a huge um, spike in the price, um, like liabilities and stuff there. If I can't see the coins, like if I can't verify, like then no, no, I'm not, I'm not doing it. Um, and they are really, really good about that. So I, I love that company. Um, big fan of Casa. Um, uh, Big fan of, uh, excuse me, um, a couple other companies in the space. Um, uh, Casa is another uh, big one. I'd even um, advertise for Blockstream. People, people give Blockstream a lot of crap, but I love their the fact that they do like the Bitcoin satellite stuff. Like that's pretty amazing that they've worked so hard to, to try to keep decentralization always a possibility. Like always give an alternative route. Um, like the satellite thing was such a huge, I thought it was really important and was kind of like, oh, that's fun and cool. And then it doesn't really get talked about a whole lot. But I'm like, dude, like we, you could shut down the internet, but you can stay connected to the Bitcoin blockchain, you know, like that, that there's no way to stop the, the great wall of the great firewall of China is null and void because of this one thing. Um, and it is active and live. That's pretty cool. So I, I got to give major, major props for that. Um, but yeah, yeah. Um, and there's a, there's a number of others. I can't think of them off the top of my head, honestly. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that would be, that would be amazing. And I, I hope to find a good sponsor, a good Bitcoin company. Oh, Swan Bitcoin and give Bitcoin. I'm probably going to pester Corey. I'm going to pester those guys um, pretty soon. I'm, I'm going to make them sponsor the show too. <laughs> Who's that? Sorry. Swan Bitcoin, uh, Corey with givebitcoin.io and savebitcoin.io. Okay. Um, yeah, Brady works for them. Uh, he's like their marketing uh, guy. And uh, uh, Jan Pritzker, he, he's, he's part of the team over there. They have, they have a, just an awesome team and they're, you know, Bitcoin only. They, they're, they are the ethos. They're the Bitcoin ethos through and through. So they're a great one too. Well, you heard it there, guys. Um, we need some retweets for uh, for Guy to um, yeah to, <laughs> get, to get the uh, the credit he deserves and um, yeah, the, the sponsors that um, that he deserves as well uh, for all of his hard work. Now, Guy, last question: 
if you could uh, educate one person about Bitcoin that could then go out and reach uh, a far wider audience than you know any any one of us lowly podcasters could about Bitcoin, um, who would that be? Um, if you think about like the age demographic of their audience, and is there anybody that you would love to just put out a tweet or some kind of information? That's a good question. Um, maybe Joe Rogan, but sometimes I, I disagree with him. He has uh, his, his philosophy. I feel like is less defined. It's more kind of open and uh, malleable, I guess you could say. Um, uh, maybe Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson gets a lot of hate, but he is all about ideological consistency and like really breaking things down to like like a core like like an axiom like something true about human nature and like like who we are as people because he's a psychologist you know so i find his stuff fascinating don't always agree with him but like it's fascinating nonetheless um and uh so maybe maybe somewhere in there maybe maybe joe rogan or jordan peterson i could i could say either of those i'll lean towards jordan right now i'll lean towards jordan peterson excellent excellent answer well uh thank you so much guy thanks for your your time. Thanks for your honesty. Thanks for sharing, um, giving us an insight into, uh, into your life and what's going on. Uh, where can people find you? Uh, yeah, I'm at the crypto economy, uh, pretty much everywhere. Um, just make sure you put the T H E. There is actually another group that does like crypto economy, um, which was funny. We started our podcast like within like a week of each other. Um, so, so I didn't know about them. They didn't know about me. Um, but we had a conversation like a month in. It's like, uh, crap, we have the same name. <laughs> um, but uh, thecryptoeconomy.com, uh, at thecryptoeconomy on Twitter. I pretty much repost everything on Twitter, so you can follow me there. Um, but if you really want to hunt through the whole database and collections of stuff that I've done, uh, I'm trying to make thecryptoeconomy.com that place um, to organize it like by topic and stuff because it's hard to dig through. 350 episodes it that is it's it's an ocean like just looking at it in list form it's like scroll 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 it's like it's it seems for infinity so um i'm trying to make that as simple a place to dig through to get nick zabo's pieces because we've read like nine of his on the show we got shelling out we got so many great like veritable audio books that we've covered on the show we've got turtle meester stuff we've got connor brown stuff we've got um uh pierre richard stuff like just the there's so many things now that we've covered. Um, I need to try to figure out, I'm, I'm working on making the history of it all uh, easier to navigate. But yeah, that'll, that'll be at thecryptoeconomy.com. Excellent. Thank you very much. Please, anybody reach out to Guy. And uh, is there any final thoughts or asks of the audience, Guy, um, before, we, before we end it here? Nope. Just buy Bitcoin and uh, you know, hold strong. Back up your keys and stack, stack sats. Excellent. Thanks so much. Yeah, man. Appreciate it, dude. Thank you. Well, uh, guys, um, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. And I hope you can hear in Guy's voice like the, 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 the passion behind what he's doing. And he, he, he explained to me that you know, this is a, um, a choice of his. He knows that he's putting a lot of time and effort into getting this podcast going for the last one or two years. And he knows he's foregoing some savings now where 
uh, he could be stacking sats and, and saving Bitcoin. And he's also been using some Bitcoin to fund his lifestyle and um, get get this work out there because that's what he is truly passionate about. And he believes in the future of this. And he knows now if he puts in the work that he should be rewarded 10, 15, 20 years down the time. But the opportunity cost is real and it is there. And uh, the amount of time is evident that he puts into this work. But, uh, I mean, come on. You, you heard him. Listen to his podcasts. This guy is just hes so passionate about this and is trying to educate as many people as he can for those people coming in behind him. And uh, I, I just wish him all the best. I hope to have him on the show again another time and just listen out for more of his work. And if we can help him in any way uh, by – uh, you know, the, the companies that he mentioned, he'd love to work with. Let, let's make it, um, let's make that evident and, and see if we can help them connect. And perhaps he can make bigger and better things and, uh, and educate more people and re reach a wider audience. Uh, that's my closing thoughts. It was uh, an absolute pleasure to speak with Guy. I really look forward to uh, any podcast he puts out there. I'm currently listening to his uh, audio reading of uh, Knut's. Um, uh, um, book and um, I'm, I'm being really interested by that and I'm going to get him on the show hopefully uh, to discuss that uh, so so go and find that series uh, I hope uh, you, you reach out to Guy and check out his podcast so take care uh, thanks again for listening find me at princey1976 on the Twitters take care bye bye